0: Amen. So during these foundational teachings that we've been talking about these this last really two weeks, we have been um, encountering God in his story and beginning to see that from the very beginning, we were a part of the story of God. And throughout the ages And even in the local church, that story has been mostly lost. I grew up um, in a Christian home going to church my whole life and never heard about the story that God has been writing from before time began, the dream in his heart, Adam and Eve in the garden, the place of encounter, that, that broken relationship and his desire to restore all of his creation into that place where he originally intended them to be. That place of nearness, that place of closeness, that place of knowing his desires and knowing his thoughts and intents of his heart. So his story began way before we can even fathom when he dreamed the dream, let us make man in our image. Remember we talked about that in... Uh, Genesis 1:26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, He created them. Three times in those two verses, God emphasized the image of God as the crowning glory of His creation was created on the sixth day, and He created us for fellowship with his, Himself for communion with himself, with the capacity to know God and the capacity to relate to him unlike any other creature that he created beforehand. And at the end of the day, he said, it's very good. And then we saw that in the very beginning, as Adam was put to sleep and the rib from his side was taken out and Eve was created as a partner for this one who was the t- uh, uh, a picture of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus, that the bride would be taken from his side and then joined together with him in intimacy and partnership. And so we see there was a f- the wedding in the beginning. And then we see at the end of the story, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, the day of the gladness of his heart is the day of his wedding the day when his people will be united and there will be a feast greater than any other feast that we've ever had isaiah says that it will be the finest of wines and the most delicious of meats and my question is is there really going to be lamb lamb chops at the wedding supper of the lamb i don't know what you think about that um big theological debate right um So here we see, it began with a wedding, it ends in a wedding, and we're caught up in this divine romance. We're caught up in this divine love story. And this kind of takes us uh, uh, a little bit to adjust to, because we haven't been used to it. We haven't heard this message very often. But right now, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this It's not a new face of God, but it's new to us because it hasn't been emphasized globally like the Holy Spirit is emphasizing now. So he's emphasizing Jesus as a bridegroom, the bridegroom God. Now, he's been emphasizing different faces and different pictures of himself throughout history, and we've Uh, Over the last 20, 30, 40 years, really the face of God that's been emphasized is the father, the father heart of God. And he's been there's been a movement, you know, from uh, Pensacola and from in Florida and from uh, Toronto with the Toronto blessing and um, different places around the world. Hong Kong, it's happening right now. The Lord is emphasizing the father's heart and his desire for his children and so um, how many of you are sons of God in this room? Okay. I saw a lot of ladies raising your hand. Is that an issue for you, really? You're like sons of God, okay? Um, so raise your hand if you're the bride of Christ in this room. Okay. Guys, I, is that... Are you having trouble with that don't like picture don't picture yourself in like a wedding dress and (laughs) Okay, this is not our god is not gender confused. Okay (laughs) All of us are sons of god and all of us are the bride of christ as the sons of god We have access to his throne That's the point. That's the the emphasis of the being the sons of god is we have access to his power to his throne, to, his, to, to the strength of God. He comes and he defends us as his children and, and we get to um, receive that power. And then the emphasis of the bride of Christ is that we have access to his heart. We have access to his emotions. We have access to his, his, the deepest longings and desires of the heart of God. That's what's emphasized with us as the bride. Right. And that's the face of Jesus, the face of God that he's emphasizing in this generation is the bridegroom God. Eric so beautifully talked about fasting last week and the uh, in Matthew chapter nine, it says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast? And so Jesus himself calls himself a bridegroom. He calls himself This one with burning desire and jealousy that cannot be quenched. And he invites us to be his friends, the friends of the bridegroom. And I'm just going through a few verses before we get to Matthew 24 and 25. So you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Um. Isaiah 54 verse 5 says, Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. This takes a shift in our perspective because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we think about God as mostly distant mostly disappointed, mostly angry, mostly not interested in us as a person, then we'll respond and we'll actually treat others that way. Because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It frames our whole reality. So most of the things in our life that we struggle with, they're not just like behavior problems or sin problems. We have a knowledge of God problem. We don't see him rightly, right? So God is saying, you become what you behold. Second Corinthians 3, 18. You are transformed by gazing on the glory of God. And so you become what you behold. So your issues in your life are not Sin problems and you just need to get them fixed their knowledge of god problems and you need to gaze at him Until he reveals himself to you as the answer and as the beautiful one who you will then become like God is not passive distant disappointed in us. He is zealous That who he is and who his His name be rightly understood and he chose that his son Jesus would be the full witness of who God is and how God feels about us. Since the fall, the Holy Three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have been aching for restored relationship with their beautiful creation. They are the source of love and desire. Let me say that again. They are... The source of all love and all desire, and we desire and we love only because they do. I love this verse in Hosea 2. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Again, it says that three times in two verses, I will betroth you to me. This is who God is. He, he doesn't just act like a bridegroom. At his very core, he is a bridegroom this is who he is Luke twenty two fifteen and 16 Jesus and the night he was betrayed he says this he said to his disciples with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I say to you I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God with fervent desire I have desired Jesus speaking, saying, I've longed to sit across the table and fellowship with you. And I won't eat of this bread of the vine. uh, Sorry, this fruit of the vine and bread of the earth until I see you again in the fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So just in addition to Eric's uh, excellent message on fasting, Jesus in a certain sense, has been fasting for over 2,000 years, waiting, longing, with burning desire in his heart to have a people that would be fully his, that's the bridegroom fast. (laughs) That's the real bridegroom fast. He's the bridegroom, and he's been fasting. So, before Jesus returns, we see that there's going to be three main um, three main faces of Jesus, three main revelations of Jesus that we're going to see. It's the bridegroom, it's the king, and it's the judge. And each one of them emphasizes a different reality about who Jesus is. But we need all three of them together or else we become unbalanced. We become, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, fully give the picture of who jesus is and so as the bridegroom it's the we see the jesus of desire the jesus of burning passion for his people and with the king we see the jesus of power and glory supreme and reigning over his creation and then with the judge we encounter his zeal to remove everything that hinders love He is the judge of the whole earth, and he will judge in righteousness and in justice. So we need all these three faces. Tonight, I'm going to focus mostly on the bridegroom, Revelation, because I find most people know Jesus as the king, right? We've, We've grown up with that. It's emphasized a lot in the church. Jesus is the king. And then we're a little bit familiar with Jesus as the judge, right? We know that he's the one that... If, you know, we have uh, in Hebrews 10, it says that we have one life, and after that, the judgment, right? So Jesus will judge and send, bring the righteous to live with him forever in ultimate joy, and those who have not believed in him to ultimate destruction in hell forever, right? In the lake of fire. And so, but we want to focus on the bridegroom because. That hasn't been emphasized very much in the church, but it's what the Holy Spirit is going to emphasize on a global scale before Jesus returns. How do we know that? Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. This is one of the most, I believe, one of the most significant prophecies related to what the church is going to look like before jesus returns we're going to be so it says the spirit and the bride say come we're going to be in such unity with the holy spirit before jesus returns it's going to be remarkable it's going to be Dynamic it's going to be exciting as we more and more get in agreement and alignment with what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Holy Spirit is doing So in this verse it says the spirit and the bride say come so we ask the question what is the spirit doing in this verse He's revealing our identity as Jesus's bride The Holy Spirit is revealing our identity as Jesus's bride. And he's so in order for us to know we're his bride, we have to know that we have a bridegroom. It can't just be a, a good language or a good metaphor. We have to actually change the way we relate to the son of God, to the king that we know and love, to our savior, to the one that died on the cross for us. We have to begin to relate to him, not just as someone who like paid the penalty for our sins and then rose from the dead so that we can live with God forever and be saved from hell. We have to begin to relate to him as a bridegroom who has desire and passion burning in his heart. Otherwise, we will not love him the same way. And the promise and the longing of Jesus's heart, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that those you have given me would be with me where I am. He wants closeness. He wants partnership. And that they would See my glory. And then he goes on in verse 26 and he says, I desire that they would love me with the same love with which you have loved me. The f- how much does the father love the son? How much is that relationship between the father and the son and the Holy Spirit? That infinite desire of love and passion and wholehearted abandonment to one another absolute trust complete openness to each other and he says i want you to love me and you will love me with the same love that the father has for his son unthinkable (laughs) and this is our destiny And this is what God is doing in the earth. He's revealing Jesus as the bridegroom so that we can understand his passion for us and respond. And then we ask the question, the spirit and the bride say, come. What's the spirit doing in this verse? He's interceding for Jesus to come in power to the earth and is calling people to come to Jesus as the bridegroom God. So at the end of the age, we see The church in unity with the Holy Spirit crying out to the earth saying, come Lord Jesus, come. uh, Crying out to Jesus saying, come Lord Jesus, come. And crying out to the earth, join us in what you were created for. Turn from worthless idols and turn to the living God, the one true king, bridegroom who loves you, who demonstrated his passion for you on a cross hanging between heaven and earth. This is the gospel, friends. And so as we look at this story from the very beginning all the way to the very end, and we see that it's a divine romance, God fighting for the hearts of his people, it's interesting to see there's been three transitional generations where God was raising up deliverers in the earth. Three generations— we see biblically where God does something so unique in the earth and then Satan responds with his rage and tries to to kill a whole generation. Right. The first one is the generation of Moses. Where Pharaoh. I believe Satan through Pharaoh was trying to wipe out a whole generation. What happened? They tried to kill all the baby boys in the land because Satan knew God was raising up a deliverer God was raising up one who's gonna stand up Challenge the darkness in his generation and set God's people free And so what did satan try to do? He tried to destroy all that whole generation, but moses um, Which interestingly enough means drawn out of the waters? That's what his name means drawn out of the waters was drawn out of the waters by pharaoh's daughter and you all know the story right so there's a transitional generation that happened there the next generation where god is transitioning and raising up as deliverer is the generation right before jesus was born right and we we see the story we've read it so many times around christmas time that that um, right before Jesus was born, King Herod hears from the wise men about this baby boy that would be born in Bethlehem, and he would be the next king. And he didn't like that, and so Satan rages again through him and almost wipes out a whole generation again. And I was just meditating on that today going, what if Satan had killed the 12 disciples in that generation? You know, what if he, what if he succeeded, but the Lord protected all of those who he needed for that hour and raised them up, raised Jesus up, obviously, as the ultimate deliverer. And then he raised up the disciples as these deliverers that would birth the church and then send the good news of what Jesus has done to the four corners of the earth. So we have Moses, we have Jesus, and we have The third generation we see biblically is the generation that's right before Jesus' return. And I believe we're living in or close to that generation because now more than ever before, a few things are happening more than any other time in human history. Number one is the church is being persecuted more than ever before in human history. There are actually more martyrs today. Than there have been in any time in human history Um, We're just talking with um, James and there's a pastor in Turkey who's actually been imprisoned right now And he's American and he's in prison for his faith under false charges that he is um, being a terrorist uh, Under the guise of trying to establish prayer and worship um, In in Turkey and so there's uh Things like this happening around the world and we don't hear about it very much But there's more persecution and more raging against the people of god on the planet right now than ever before the second one of the second things that's happening is uh, abortion And how satan tries to go after a whole generation before they're even born And take them out because he knows something he knows that they're going to be deliverers he knows that there's there's a whole generation coming that's going to rise up and be so powerful on the earth and worship the, the true bridegroom God. And they're going to walk into their identity as the ones who say, come, Lord Jesus, come and welcome Jesus back to the earth. And he wants to preempt that. Right. He wants to stop it before that generation can even be born. So we th- see these three generations happening before jesus returns now as we're preparing for let me say it this way as jesus the day of Jesus' return gets closer and closer i believe the main the main uh message that the holy spirit is going to be speaking to the church is this word prepare prepare it's john the baptist Prepared the way for jesus to come right He was the one that stood before he came before jesus and he said i'm crying out in the wilderness prepare the way of yahweh Prepare the way of the lord and then he looks over And he goes behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world. There's yahweh in the flesh standing right there And so john the baptist prepared the way for jesus to come in the same way God's going to raise up a whole generation before Jesus returns who will say, Behold the Lamb of God. Prepare the way for him to come. Amen? And we're part of that generation. We're part of these ones that get to prepare the earth for Jesus' second coming. And so we have to, in order for us to prepare the earth for Jesus' second coming, we have to proclaim who he is. He's the bridegroom. With passionate fiery desire for you and I And it's displayed through his love on the cross Okay, that was all introduction Turn to matthew chapter 25 And we had such a great time in worship that we have a lot of energy. We can just go a little bit longer tonight. Is that right? Yeah, okay And it's you know, we're so blessed because the later we go the cooler it will be right And so so we we have all night. No. okay, Uh, Matthew 25. Verse one. Let's read this together. We're going to go all the way to verse 13. Say amen if you're there. All right. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them are wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell, And buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Just want to emphasize that last verse. Watch. Therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. All right, so let's begin to just break down this passage, verse by verse, and begin to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable. Okay, so let's just talk about who are the characters in this story. Wise, how many? Five wise and five foolish. Any other characters? The bridegroom. Yeah. Any other characters? Yes, those crying out in the midnight hour. Okay. Any other characters? Those who sell. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's look at verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Okay. So he says, then. Then. Well, when is then? Right. We have to point. We have to uh, go back just another chapter to Matthew 24. Right. Matthew 24 and 25 are one sermon of Jesus. Okay, so Matthew 24 starts off with the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, asking him this question, tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right? So that's the question they start with. It's all about when will this take place, Jesus? When will you bring in your kingdom? When will these stones of these buildings be shaken and toppled down? When are you going to come? When is the end of the age? And Jesus then begins one of the longest sermons about the the. Unique dynamics that are going to happen before he comes and he breaks it down line by line and he goes sir We're not going to go through uh, Matthew 24, although I love that so Then means the end of the age. It's the same theme that he was just talking about in Matthew 24 right so Jesus begins to paint this picture in Matthew 24 that the greatest pressures and the greatest revival is going to come to the church before he returns, right? We all love this Matthew twenty four fourteen. the gospel. Uh, it says, and the, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come, right? We love that verse, but right before this verse, this is what it says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake and then many will be offended will betray one another will hate one another Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold But he who endures to the end shall be saved And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come so this is a great day for the church gospel being preached to the nations and worship rising as the kingdom of God. The worship of God is being established on the earth. And it's a terrible day. And it's going to be one of the greatest pressures on the earth before Jesus returns for the church. So again, the word is prepare. Prepare. So we see that's the context in which these ten virgins... Are living okay So we see virgins These virgins represent all believers They're uh, they are all believers So because in Second corinthians 11 it talks about that every believer is a pure virgin Before jesus because we've received his righteousness We're righteous before his eyes. He sees no splot spot or splot Or blemish in us (laughs) He looks on us with the same affection and desire and sees the purity of his own son when he looks at you and I you are clean before him So all of the virgins that are talked about here are believers Okay Second corinthians 11. I just want to read this verse. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy I promised you to one husband to christ So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that's what we're talking about. This the bridegroom revelation is to inspire and create the pure and sincere devotion to Christ that he's longing for. It's to create this response of love. And devotion that we would not be deceived like Eve was in the garden Okay, so it says that um, The ten virgins and they took their lamps. So what do the lamps represent? Lamps represent mi- Their ministry lamps represent their light that they're holding out to others of uh, The ministry that the Lord has given them. It's their assignment it It's bringing god's light to other people. Okay, that's what the lamp, lamp represents and then it says That they all went out to meet the bridegroom So every one of these ministries actually knew the bridegroom had the intimacy message preached to them at one time right All of them were exposed to Jesus as a bridegroom. And the question is, what did you do with that revelation? And then it says in verse 3, verse 2, first, now five of them are wise and five were foolish. And then we're supposed to ask the question, well, what, what made them wise and what made them foolish, Right. Matthew 25 verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So we see here that oil speaks of the presence of the Holy Spirit touching our heart as we spend time with God. Acquiring oil means active intimacy with Jesus. It's actively connecting with the heart of God. It means cultivating your secret life in God. That's what the oil of intimacy is all about, is do you have a secret life of intimacy with God that has built up over decades, over your life, day after day, connecting with him, simply loving him, receiving his love, and receiving revelation from him. When we do this, it increases our spiritual capacity and ability to encounter him more. And so that's what drives us to wake up from our slumber and our sleep, put on that alarm before we have to go to work, before we have to go to school, and wake up because I know that if I encounter him today, I'm going to encounter him more tomorrow. Because it's building in me the spiritual capacity To hold and encounter and experience more of who he is amen The oil of the holy spirit Touches our hearts in many different ways as we pursue this Now it's interesting The even the order of the language in these verses betrays what jesus sees as Wise and what is foolish From jesus's perspective. He looks at these ten virgins and he says They took their lamps and took no oil. So they were focused so much primarily on their ministry first. And they took no oil with them. So it says they took their lamps. Then it says of the wise, what's the first thing they took? Not their lamps. They took oil first. It was almost as if the oil was more important than the lamp. The foolish, it's foolishness in the eyes of Jesus to focus on your ministry more than you focus on intimacy. It is wise to Jesus to focus on your intimacy first and let it overflow into your ministry. This is what Jesus calls wise and foolish. They The foolish pursued ministry as their first priority instead of acquiring oil in their ministry, in their relationship to Jesus. What's the dream of your heart? Is your dream the ministry and the impact and the expansion and the networking and the influence What's the dream of your heart? Our relationship with Jesus must be our highest dream. Our relationship with him, intimacy with him, must be our highest dream, not our ministry assignment. I love the way Mike Bickle actually describes this point. He says, IHOP is his assignment. It's not the dream of his heart dream of his heart is connecting with jesus so he he can see ihop grow really really big and successful but that doesn't touch the dream of his heart and he can see ihop dwindle to the smallest thing and that doesn't touch the dream of his heart because ihop is his ministry assignment not the dream of his heart the dream of his heart is connecting with Jesus in the secret place cultivating that oil of interest, intimacy that i would have a secret life in god therefore your ministry assignment can be big or small a large impact or sh- small impact uh all, all the different measurements that we put on ministry are they, they don't touch the depth of our core if our dream is set on the right thing. We want to set our eyes on Jesus. You're my treasure. You're my aim. You're my joy. You're my goal. And no one can touch it or steal that from me. What's the dream of your heart? I just want to mention Mary of Bethany in Luke 10, 38 Maybe you've read the story where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house and it says, Mary sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and excuse me, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. The issue with Martha was not that she served too much. The issue with Martha was that she was worried and troubled and distracted by serving. Instead of sitting at Jesus' feet and receiving his word and doing the one thing that is needed the one thing that is necessary and after that go do the serving it's not a matter of serving and ministry and all of the different things against intimacy with god well Aaron, which should I do? Should I go into my prayer closet? Should I should I go into the prayer room or should I go out into the streets where the lost are and and the the women are prostituting themselves and and preach the gospel to them and help them come into the family of God? Which should I do? And the answer is not an answer of either or. It's an answer of which do you do first and which is the dream of your heart? Because If you pursue ministry first, you will burn out. But if you pursue intimacy first, you can go through every season of ministry because your heart will be sustained with oil. Like Mary, who chose that good part. It's interesting. Jesus said, one thing is needed, Mary has chosen it doesn't just happen it's a choice okay verse 5 but while the bridegroom was delayed they all slumbered and slept and i i've wrestled with this uh idea like okay why did they all sleep it says all the wise and the foolish slept what why why does it say that like Wouldn't you think that only the foolish would sleep and the wise would stay awake and wait for the bridegroom? But it says, no, they all slept. So what is this talking about? I believe sleeping in the parable is not a bad thing. What it's talking about is cultivating oil in the just the natural processes of life. Just the mundane, average days that we all go through where we have to do the normal things of life, you know, where every day is not just this. This power encounter with God (laughs) where we're seeing visions and dreams, although all of us wish for those days, right? We wish every day was those days, but the reality is we all have dullness. We all don't connect with God. We go through seasons where we don't feel his presence, where we feel distant from him. I'm like, am I even a Christian anymore? (laughs) Like, what's going on, God, you know? And then we have the days like tonight where we're rejoicing that we're called his priests and we're clothed. Um, In the garments of of sonship and the amazing chorus that james made tonight, you know So sleeping just speaks of sustaining Your intimacy with god even when it's not exciting Even when you don't feel him cultivating intimacy with god even when it's not exciting Even when you don't feel him Even when you don't sense his presence even when the bible seems boring I don't know. That's my experience sometimes. I bet you guys are way more spiritual than me, so that's not something you struggle with at all. (coughs) The mundane rigors of life, raising your kids, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, doing the, the work duties, all just life. But in the midst of that, they all slept. They were all doing life, right? Then it says at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So we're not told who does this cry, but I believe that this is the bride at the end of the age that's preparing the rest of the earth for the second coming of Jesus. And their cry is this. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So there's three parts of this cry, of this message that they're proclaiming in the middle of the night. First is this. Behold the bridegroom. Number one, behold him. Go ahead. Behold him. He's a bridegroom. He's beautiful. He has fiery desire and passion for you. He's not stoic. He's not distant. He's not a God far off. He's not a God uninterested in even the smallest details of your heart and your life. He wants you and he wants all of you and he's waiting and he's done everything he could. He's gone to the ultimate lengths of leaving his father's house in heaven, taking on a human frame, suffering like Justin Rizzo talked about even before the cross through rejection and through pain and through all the 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 things that we go through He's tempted and tested and tried in every way, just like we are yet without sin. And then he suffered on the cross with whips and lashes and a crown of thorns and nails and a pierced side and death suffocating on a tree. And that's the cry behold the bridegroom he died to display his love he is a bridegroom with fire in his eyes desire passion in him he must be proclaimed as the bridegroom God so the second part of the cry is behold the bridegroom is coming There must be a generation that rises and says, Jesus is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Right? And it's what I talked about last week with Isaiah 42, verse 10, where it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in all the earth. Sing to the Lord a new song. What's the new song? It's the song of Jesus' return. It's the song of his redemption of the nations. It's the song of him coming as the conquering king. It's the song of the restoration of all things. And God wants the song of his return sung before he comes to prepare the earth. To prepare his people so they're not caught off guard with such zeal. Because right now, if Jesus were to come back, he would not be recognized by the majority of his people. Because we mostly know Jesus as this tender lamb that came the first time. But we don't know him as the lion that's coming the second time. And so the message is prepare. He's a fiery, passionate bridegroom. And his bride actually has been um, persecuted. And his bride has been Uh, The enemy has come against his bride and he's not okay with that Jesus is at war to have his wedding because he's a bridegroom with fiery desire and a husband a husband's fury Is worse than death a husband's fury when his bride has been persecuted so we say behold the bridegroom is coming now you know everything changes when Jesus comes, right? Everything changes. Not just in the ultimate sense. So three three ways that Jesus comes. Jesus comes near us in intimacy and we get changed, right? He comes close, his presence draws near. He opens up the word to us and our hearts and our minds are transformed as we gaze upon his beauty and read his words and look at his life and study who he is and what the apostles and the word of God say about him. So come, he draws near to us. Then he comes to us in revival. So he pours out his spirit in a region or an area where suddenly things change in that region because believers begin to walk according to the word of God and they're empowered by him and they begin to sing and they begin to worship and the witness goes out and there's a measure of revival in a specific place. So Jesus comes near us in intimacy, He comes to us in revival, and then He comes for us in the sky. And everything changes when Jesus comes in those three ways. And we want Him to come in all three of those ways. Many people only focus on the come to me in intimacy part, right? And that's good. We want personal breakthrough, we want Him to come close to us. And then some people only focus on the come to us in revival and breakthrough in our region. And they only focus on intercession, but they leave out the intimacy piece. And, and they mostly become needs-based intercessors instead of God-based intercessors. And then the, a lot of the body of Christ does not focus on Jesus' return, the second coming. He's coming for us in the sky. So we have to have that all three of those cries. Behold the bridegroom. He's coming. He's coming near us. He's coming to us and he's coming for us. Amen. And then they say, go out to meet him. Go out to meet him. This means that we need to make the necessary efforts to get up and go out to encounter Jesus. We must make the necessary effort. It's the fasted lifestyle. It's changing the things that we do on a daily basis so that our hearts can encounter Jesus and be prepared for the day of his return. This will involve getting the clutter out and often downsizing our position, possessions, ministry reputation, and profile. Most of us don't need half of what we have. It's time to get out of bed and exert energy and make pains to rearrange your life. Just so you know, I'm preaching to myself right now. <laughs> I like my sleep. But Jesus' words are clear. Go out to meet him. Be ready. Next verse. Verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. So the foolish then recognize their mistake. They go, oh, no. We don't have oil, we made a mistake. They neglected to buy oil. Psalm one nineteen sixteen says, I delight in your decrees, I will not neglect your word. Song of Solomon one verse six says My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I had to neglect. In the story, she's so consumed with taking care of others' ministry but neglecting her own heart and her own vineyard, her own garden before the Lord. So the foolish say, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. The wise understood their limitation and acknowledged that their spiritual, and his, spiritual history in God and their spiritual preparedness could not be transferred to others. You can't give your history in God away. You can't transfer it to someone else. I wish there was a way that I could just stand up here and you could all stand in a prayer line and I could just give you my relationship with God and pray for you but it doesn't work that way. I can't give you my oil. I can't give you my secret place. I can't give you what I have have costly cost I've paid a price to discover in God. I can't give it to you. No one else can get it for you. You have to go buy oil for yourself. There's an urgency in this Message that says, this is not just a little uh, addition to your life. Like, oh, nice. Now I get to have a nice quiet time. There's an urgency about this. Jesus says, this is costly. This is real. You have to buy it. You have to pay something for it. And the cost is time. And the cost is other things get put to the side. Jesus... Exhorts us to buy oil engage in the God-ordained process of acquiring intimacy with God We can't earn it, but we invest ourselves in a costly way to receive it Jesus says the same thing in Revelation 3 He says I Counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. It's the same thing. There's it is Costly Jesus paid the price for us to enter into it on the cross, but it's costly. It costs us something. And so the foolish said, I didn't work for it, so now give me some of your oil. And Jesus says, that's foolishness because you can't get it from someone else. You have to get it from God. The most Substantial way to acquire oil is by regularly feeding on God's word This positions our heart to receive more From God It doesn't earn us anything before God, but it positions us Before him To receive more from him, but there's an urgency about it because The the wise say go to those who who sell Which I believe Is the Holy Spirit he he's the one who helps us and releases the that active intimacy in our hearts as we engage in faith. Buy oil for yourselves. And then Jesus says in verse 10 while they went to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready everybody say those who were ready. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. I believe this passage is not a warning about losing your salvation. Because, like I said, all of them are virgins, right? All of them have received Christ. All of them are righteous in his sight. This is not about losing your salvation. Jesus says later uh, in verse uh, 12, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. He did not recognize that they were ones who engaged with him in active intimacy as the bridegroom. They were mostly concerned about their ministry before they were concerned about his identity as the bridegroom. Now, it's interesting. um, In a Jewish wedding setting... Normally, the Jewish wedding would have a seven-day celebration. That's pretty awesome. You know, I had one day (laughs) in my celebration, right? They have seven days of the celebration, and the way that it would work is on the first day, the nearest intimate relatives and people closest to them would come to the celebration. Then the second day, more would be invited. Then the third day more would be invited until all the way until the seventh day, right? And then the feast would be done. So it's this picture not of you're going to miss out completely, but you may miss out partially because the level of partnership that he's looking for is related to intimacy. The most intimate ones will partner most with Jesus, On the day that he returns and in the events leading up to him. uh, Leading up to his return. He says, I do not know you, but he does not say I never knew you like he says in Matthew 7. He does not say that they were evil like he says in Matthew 24. He didn't call them wicked and lazy like he does later in Matthew 25. And he doesn't call them cursed like he does in Matthew 25. So this is not about salvation. This is about the level of partnership. He's going, I want intimacy. I want you near me. I want you close to me. I want you to buy oil day after day after day after day, not just so that you can get into heaven and you can be with me forever, but so that you can partner most with me. So you can be closest to me on the day of my wedding. I don't want to say to you, I don't know you in this way you're not close enough to me to know me as the bridegroom you know me as the one who's powerful you know me as the one who does other things in ministry and brings light to the nations but do you know me as a bridegroom do you know my heart do you know me closely and then jesus wraps up the parable by saying watch therefore For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Ten times in the Gospels, Jesus gives us this command. Watch and pray. Be watchful. Watch. In the early days of IHOP, there was uh, a message that came out that the house of prayer is going to be called the house of the watchful and the wise. Based on this parable that the house of prayer is so important to helping us cultivate our secret life in God So that it would be called the house of the watchful and the wise Both luke 21 and mark 13 Include details from this one teaching of jesus that matthew didn't include in matthew 25 luke said luke emphasized jesus's Words that said, Watch and pray. He says this, and I'll leave you with this this passage, Luke twenty-one. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day, the day of his return, the day of his wedding, the, the big day, the events surrounding his return, come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth watch therefore and pray always That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the son of man There's An urgency to intimacy There's an urgency To getting oil There's an urgency to to prepare now because the foolish weren't ready and the bridegroom came. And it could be a season of revival that he comes. And if he, he comes looking for those who can partner with because they're close to him in intimacy and they know him as a bridegroom. And if he comes in revival, he's looking for the one, how many wants to partner with him in revival when he comes. There's an urgency to that. But many will not be ready and they won't partner. They'll be taken. They'll be shocked. They'll be they'll they'll not be aware. But we want to be ready in the same way when Jesus splits the sky and he comes, it will come as a snare and a shock to the whole earth. But even even uh, Peter tells us, he says, you are not those who are in darkness. You are in light. So you will know the day, you will not know the day or the hour, but you will know the signs of his coming. Like the fig tree that bears fruit, and you know, oh, now's the time when it's going to bear fruit. In the same way, we're going to know when Jesus is coming. Amen. Let's stand. Watch, therefore, and pray always. Jesus commands us. He, he exhorts us. He reminds us ten times, watch and pray. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to get oil. He wants us to buy gold refined in the fire. He wants us to partner with him. He's this bridegroom, jealous God who longs for us with an eternal and everlasting love. So let's just respond to him in our own way. Let's just say yes.